You're listening to the Sparty Cast. Hello and welcome to Sparty Cast episode, whatever number it is. I am so thrilled to be here with the amazing Anne Desrochers and George McNeil, who have been here with the Sparty Lab since the very beginning. They are students at Michigan State University. And um, I thought we would dedicate an episode to appreciating them and having them tell me how they have evolved through their experience at MSU and in the Sparty Lab, and then also uh, to allow them to engage in some shameless self-promotion. So uh, <laughs> go ahead, um, Anne, why don't you start? Tell us a little bit about yourself and, and your experience with Sparty Lab. And then we can make this like a, a jump around type conversation. Yeah, for sure. My name is Anne. Uh, it's great to be here. I've been working with the Sparty Lab since my very first week on MSU's campus. I was assigned to work with Dr. Rattan through a Google form survey and they kind of couldn't figure out where to put me. <laughs> so I think they stuck me with Robbie. But and this was it, through the yeah. Honors College. Yes, through the Honors College. Um, but yeah, it's been three years now working at the lab and I've done everything from, you know, literature review to writing papers to running participants through a study to setting up experiments. And I've really gotten to see from beginning to end, like idea to published paper, how the research process works in academia. And I think that that experience has been invaluable to me um, as I have noodled my way up through my years at MSU. I'm studying experience architecture which is uh, user experience design. And I'm also studying psychology and I have a minor in IT and another minor in data analytics. So I'm busy, but I like it. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Anne. Uh, let's pass it to George, same question. Sure, I'll, uh, I guess a similar trajectory of an answer. I, before I met Robbie, uh, or Dr. Rattan rather, uh, I was working with Dr. Tewu Park uh in uh the department of communication in the department of media information at the college of communication arts and sciences at msu um i was assigned to dr park during my freshman year um and you know i came from a, a, a rural farming community and i knew i wanted to do some sort of game design-esque work when i when i started at msu but i didn't totally know where that all would land i i didn't have very much experience beforehand um, I just was enthusiastic and excited. I wanted to try something out. So uh, through the honors college, similarly, I was paired with Dr. Park and I spent that first year working on a lot of uh, VR oriented uh, research projects, uh, running a couple different studies that the lab was putting on, including one of my own um, and presenting at a, our undergraduate research uh, forum symposium at the end of that spring. And around that time is when I first met Robbie. Uh, I believe we, both Dr. Park and Dr. Rattan were uh, were presenting to, I, I forget specifically who we were presenting guys, to. I could just I be met, Robbie this whole conversation. That's okay. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> I, uh, anyway, yeah. All right, perfect. Uh, yeah, so Rob, well, Robbie, let me throw it to you. Do you remember uh, when we first met, we were in the, the game design lab. Do you classroom. were presenting a study that you put together using the VR game where you walk the plank out uh, over a high, what's, what was that called? The plank experience? Yeah, so it's called Richie's Plank Experience. And, and you did a study in which you book. measured, uh, you asked people about anxiety when they were doing it? I forget exactly. 
Yeah, it, it was it was kind of an in vivo exposure therapy study that was really uh, kind of uh, gauging whether or not people's fear of heights um, was significantly different before and after they experienced this very realistic and immersive virtual reality experience. Um, uh, so yeah, that was my first project and, and I presented to an audience which included Robbie. And then um, following that summer, uh, Dr. Park and his family moved over to Seattle um, to, I believe, work at the University of, University of Seattle? I don't know, we'll, we'll fix that in post. <laughs> um, so anyways, uh, yeah, Dr. Park moved to Seattle and uh, uh, Robbie kind of inherited his group of students, which was you know, a smorgasbord of students who were interested in game design, interested in theory, interested in VR, all kind of <laughs> brought together. And that so was around the time that Anne joined. So I think, um, so George, you were new to the lab but you had a little bit of research experience and you had just joined. Um, I found that you two quickly kind of demonstrated leadership skills. Mm -hmm. Also the banter, oh my goodness. The banter in our lab meetings was amazing. Thanks to you guys. Um, <laughs> like, can we just talk about why people your age insult each other so in such a friendly way? What do you think? I don't know. I think that, yeah, George and I ragging on each other was just like something that happened within like a week of us knowing each other. Um, and it happened naturally. Uh, I think we're just, I don't know. I love a good joke. I appreciate comedy in all its forms. And I think George is the same way. We're kind of kindred spirits in that sense. So when we're making fun of each other, it's like, it's fun for both of us. <laughs> it's a great cathartic experience. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's there's an irony in that, um, I think, because you're both very humble, uh, supportive people. You're both um, seem to me to want to dedicate your lives to improving society and to improving other people's lives. Um, so then the, the irony in like, if you didn't read your conversations as jokes, I think, wow, these people hate each other. <laughs> They're just defending each other left and right without any laughter too. It's just pure dry kind of like, you're not smart. You're not good at what you do. You're terrible at life jokes. Uh, but it made lab meetings really fun. I, I honestly think uh, we can really attribute a huge part of that to you, Robbie, because even from when I first met you, when, when uh, the kind of trade over between working with Dr. Park and working with you was going on, um, you, you sat down with me somewhere in Wells Hall on, on MSU's campus in 2018. And, and you were very earnest and, and just asked me very straightforward questions like, well, what do you want to do? Like, what are you interested in? What are you passionate about? What do you want to address? And earnestly at the time, I, I didn't know, you know, I was just kind of, you know, it's my sophomore year. I didn't know even what I was passionate about. I was just kind of trying to make ends meet and, and finish up my degree. But you really kind of encouraged a, a broader perspective of the world um, and, and trying to look at how, you know, we could use these relevant topics in media psychology and apply them in, in meaningful circumstances in, in research, in work, and even game design. So like, I, I think even the reason why Anne and I were comfortable being sarcastic and being a little, you know, <laughs> less than even professional sometimes, just goofy with one another, is just because you, you really cultivated a, a good culture of, uh, you know, just psychological safety and being open to express, <laughs> you know, like our honest opinions and, and uh, 
it, it just it was a very very welcoming climate to be in and I'm sure Anne can speak to the same thing yeah absolutely I would agree that's one of the biggest um biggest things I'm grateful for with my experiences with the Sparty Lab is there's no in certain professional or um like academic spaces there's this I don't know, it seems to me like some sort of like a frigid like distance between mm -hmm. the researcher you and the real you, the one that like laughs at jokes and is binge watching Arrested Development or whatever. <laughs> like in the Sparty Lab, there was no artificial division between the research we were working on and the people we were, if that makes sense. I think that this lab really encourages people to um, live through their interests and think about what they're passionate about and what their values are and how they can use research or use game design, like you said, or work in any other aspect to achieve those goals and feel like they're living out something that is important to them. And I think that that's how you get successful work. That's how you get people excited to come to lab meetings. That's how you get people engaged and involved um, is not forcing people to detach this clinical academic academic part of themselves and only act through that, as opposed to this holistic idea that you're a whole person. Let's get all these whole people together and see where we can go. Wow, that's this is certainly not by design. I have to say, <laughs> I, I mean, I'm I'm. It's great to hear uh, that you had this experience. And that the, the approach I've taken to, I think, nurture in some ways uh, the group, but also just mm -hmm. to get to know individuals. And, and I also, as you know, like I skateboard in class and I do the rap thing as a way of kind of creating uh, low barriers mm -hmm. to social interaction. Um, but I didn't realize that it would, it would create a culture within the group. I always kind of assumed it to be a one-on-one -on -one interactive function of my social kind of experience with students. But that's that's really nice to hear. Thank you. I think it's, it's, it is really a unique quality of your lab because I've, I've obviously worked with a lot of different folks in the Department of Communication as I've gone through my master's. Um, I, I'm currently studying a degree in communication. I should be graduating by next May. Um, but you know, even working in different labs, different you know, different professors who are studying wildly different topics. Um, Remember to I feel only like think of things the, about them right now. <laughs> oh, I am. Uh, I think you have the uh, you have the ultimate post-positivist uh, research lab. Like it's very much about the individuals coming with their own ideas and perspectives and applying it to these um, new or developing and even you know more traditional approaches to to media psych in terms of how you know, how VR and AR technologies are changing, how we interact with one another, um, how the characters and avatars we play as, you know, <laughs> like interact with who we are as people. Um, that's really been kind of the defining crux of this lab. And, and it's really been great for, you know, removing any sort of sense of imposter syndrome or, you know, that like the idea that there are no there's no wrong level of experience to start. Like as long as you're enthusiastic and are willing to participate and pitch in and help, um, I think that's what really made your lab and continues to make your lab great, even while so we're- So what are you guys gonna do with it? Now, now on the other side of it, we started at the beginning um, on the other side. How, how is your future going to Im include, integrate some of what you've learned in the lab? Well, 
I guess I don't want to get too much into hippy dippy stuff, but <laughs> I'm a spiritual person and I believe that like all my experiences impact me and they're with me and they will cause me to grow. And I really believe in my ability to grow. And I think that that part of that belief, part of the knowledge that I know I can expand, I know I can do more than I can at this moment is from my work with this lab because I've always been expanding. I've always been, um, you know, you would ask me to do a task and I would be, okay, I know how to do like 50% of that, but I'll Google the rest and I would always make it to the end. And I would always be expanding plus one, adding on to what I already did, what I already knew, how I already felt. So I think that that is what I'm going to take with me, hopefully for the rest of my life, is just this growth mindset and this idea of expansion and always being, always being more than I know that I am, if that makes sense. That's great. I, I, I would hope that that's the college experience for everyone. Uh, but with some of these self-directed projects, like, hey, Anne, you learned Python last semester. Please teach me. <laughs> uh, I could see how that's a bit daunting at first, but yeah, you've killed it, so... That's good. That's good. George? Yeah, um, I agree with very much everything Ann said. Like it, it's, I, I've, I've grown a lot in the last three years working under you in particular, Robbie. Um, even even in, in the sense of how you, you normalized certain topics and discussions like for me that I had never been even exposed to in my, in my home community or even my freshman year of, of, of college. So for that reason alone, about the, the mascot study. Yeah, like exploring the different topics and trends and, and how we approach that project. Um, and for anyone listening, that, that, that study is you want to tell them a little bit about what might be sensitive in that study? Ooh. Um, Give me a second to buy time. I'm, I'm kind of blanking on even how to sure. well describe Well, uh, just in one word, it's misogyny, right? It's misogyny in a campus community related to sports culture, which is a sensitive topic, especially at MSU. Right, yeah. We, we really developed the crux of this of that study with, with MSU's identity in mind, you know, understanding that there, there could be more here about the relationship between how the university culture treats kind of like you know the entire sports department and its environment and culture and how that might play an effect on uh, various interactions happening every day on campus relative to to gender sex etc um so so yeah that was uh, that was a very very like i i remember we were pursuing that project as i got started and that was a a a a daunting task to say the least, because it, it's a topic that's obviously needs to be approached with a lot of sensitivity, um, as well as, you know, a thorough literature review to, to understand that we're coming from an established place, um, you know, in terms of what topics have been explored, what hasn't been explored, and then tying that to, to a large part of MSU's identity, specifically with the Sparty mascot, who can be seen as a bit of a figurehead for the entire sports culture, um, at a prominent Big Ten university, uh, we were kind of going into it thinking, if this gets published and if we really see this through, we could make a lot of people upset because you know we're we're essentially we're challenging the notion that hey maybe we should really identify what role this popular mascot might play, if any, in the MSU experience, good and bad. Um, 
So approaching a, a daunting project like that has really, I mean, to say it succinctly, it, it showed me and I think Anne too what we're capable of as individuals. And, and to go off what Anne said, for me, um, in the last couple of years, I've I've taken on a role as an operations manager at uh, the campus radio station, Impact 89 FM. Uh, while I was in your lab, I, I tried my hand at being a narrative designer for a, a research project that was developed in RenPy that was observing em empathetic behaviors. Um, I've become, <laughs> and too, we've become published authors in the European Journal of Physics. Like it's, it's weird how many <laughs> sort of, none of these experiences I'd say that we anticipate on having, but the fact that we've had them, they've drastically changed who we are as people and where we're going, <laughs> to put a long story short. Oh, that, that was a good, good short, long story. And what about yours? Can you repeat the question? Future. What's happening in your future? You can connect it to the Sparty Lab, but I'm also just interested to hear, you know, future outlooks for yourselves, career-wise. So I'm currently working an internship for an organization called Teach Access, which is a partnership between higher ed institutions, disability advocacy groups, and tech companies to teach people about accessibility in the curriculum in higher ed. So I'm interning for them and I'm really enjoying it. And the more I learn about accessibility, the more I feel that it aligns with my values. And I feel that it's a growing place for me to apply my technical skills. And especially because my experience architecture, the experience architecture degree is situated in the humanities, um, I think that that people-focused approach would be really, really useful to me in that space. So I'm hoping to eventually work in the accessibility industry um, post-graduation. And I think that I will use my skills um, from the Sparty Lab, especially even doing um, experimental design and like human participant research. I think that just working with people and knowing that, okay, maybe there's a language barrier. Okay, maybe someone doesn't understand the question. Like those sort of things of being there, being hands-on, being in the room with someone who's trying to understand something, I think will um, hopefully serve me well in my future, which is hopefully going to be in the accessibility field. Okay, yeah, that, that's great complementarity. Um... And, and a great mission too. George, what about you? What are you gonna do when you grow up? <laughs> uh, that's the question I've been asking myself for the last couple of years. And, and every year I think I've, I've taken a, a bit of a, a divergence from where I expected I would be going. Because when I first was in your lab, Robbie, I was planning on being a computer scientist. Um, and as Anne can attest to, I am not a great coder. I've, I've, I wanted to become a, a really, strong coder more than anything. I thought it was gonna be my ticket into game design. I, I really wanted to, to understand it and, and be good at it. But you know, I, after, after a while, after a couple subsequent semesters of uh, you know, really trying to, to learn the ins and outs of coding and, and computer science as, as a whole, I was just hitting my head against the wall. So I, I kind of realized that my niche was more in, in the humanities and, and communication, <laughs> um, you know, working with a lot of really creative people to accomplish and overcome some, some complicated problems and be a facilitator of important discussions and share ideas. Um, that's where I've kind of realized, especially because of the work we've done in this lab, that that's where my strengths lie. So truthfully, where I'm hoping to go 
Um, and as I've learned through my other experiences in and out of this lab, I, I really want to become a project manager, <laughs> which is a bit of a, a, a notable divergence from, you know, working specifically in research. But, I, I, you know, if I can find a way to, to assist in the industry and, and help, you know, bring all these creative people who are geniuses and experts in their field and bring them together and help them find a strategy and support system that accommodates their, their techniques and their skills and their strengths and put that towards making really meaningful art or meaningful content that can change and improve our world. And that's, that's what I'm hoping to do. That's, that's my dream. Okay. So George will move to Los Angeles and Anne will move to the Bay Area. Maybe. Yes. Uh, <laughs> it might be too hot, but I'll try and get a remote job. The <laughs> <laughs> area is not as hot as LA, but uh, but I just really kind of meant that as the dichotomy between um, going into creative industries and the arts versus um, a little more technology technology oriented and kind of platform software oriented. Um, so, and neither of you are going to go into research. But uh, but that's totally fine. That's great, actually, because I think the lab will influence how you think about solving problems, right? Um, and you'll be able to interact with people who are doing research, sounds like. Yeah, absolutely. And then research might also be part of my job in the future. I've done like, I have any courses on um, different user research methods. Um, mm -hmm which is different than academic research, obviously, but just understanding even how to write a good survey question is something I learned in the lab. Uh, like how to ask for what you're actually asking for, how to measure what you want to measure, those sorts of things. I think that practicing them in my undergrad is gonna be super, super valuable to me when I graduate because it's definitely a leg up and it's not, I wanna say like a hidden skill. Like it's something that until you are aware that it's a problem, you don't really see it. You're like, oh, it's a form question. People can fill it out, whatever. But if you're really looking at like, are we measuring this construct? Um, you need to be very, very specific. So that experience and being incredibly specific and what if they interpret it this way, they'll answer the question wrong the other way and you'll have to code the answer the other way, you know? So just being aware of those pitfalls mm -hmm. and learning how to write really specifically, I think will definitely be something that I carry forward into my future endeavors. Awesome. Yeah, I, I would say the same thing, honestly, in the fact that, yeah, you, this research position has obviously, you know, with, with how we've run participants for multiple studies simultaneously and how we've uh, collected data and then analyzed it specifically, um, like understanding the importance and the, ne the necessary nature of data for any project success. That's been huge on, on my life. Like, for instance, at, at the radio station, we we went about implementing a strategic planning process just to ensure that we were, you know, doing everything the best way we could and, and figuring out strategies for how we wanted to, to implement a couple of the, the long, the longstanding goals we've had as an organization. And before we even got to the, the, let's find the A to B part of that, we, I first just uh, emphasized that we needed to do um a massive survey and collect, uh, you know, opinions from our current stakeholders and, and how that survey was developed and, and studied and broken down was very much founded in what you and Anne and, and everyone has kind of, you know, taught me basically about how, how data needs to be understood and processed. So 
yeah, for that reason alone, knowing how to, you know, back up a topic with thorough literature review and how to analyze data, all of that is going to be a long lasting effect from this lab of my life. And I think anyone who has the opportunity to do undergraduate or graduate research should definitely take, take that opportunity and say yes to it. That's great. And that's a great segue into, I think, what would be a nice closeout question, which is, if you were to give advice to your fresh person, first year student self, um, or to other fresh people now coming into academia post pandemic, um, relating to research experiences, what would you what would you say? Or what would you have done differently? I guess I would say to be honest about what you know and what you don't know and be willing to try to learn what you don't, um, pretty simplistically. But I think that, especially when I first met you, I was very nervous. I was a little tiny freshman. I really, really doubted my own abilities and capabilities. And I think that I could have, um, you know, gotten off the ground a little faster if I didn't come in with this idea that I didn't know anything, which wasn't true. But I just needed to know that I could make it and I could try and I could learn what I didn't know. And that was okay. And so the knowing what you don't know, like um, establishing an understanding of that space of not knowing, that takes some time, right? Any suggestions on how to get into that quickly? I would say, um, like, listen in, try and join any meetings you can or read old papers and um, make note of the things that you don't understand, the things that you probably want more experience in. And then you can, if you wind up with a really long list, you can call it to the things that you find are most related to what you're interested in. But there's, in the research process, you generate a whole lot of deliverables, a whole lot of meetings, a whole lot of papers, a whole lot of data, um, different spreadsheets. So even just, having access to like an old Google Drive archive to just poke around would be super valuable, I think, to um, people who are just starting out, at least um, people whose brains work like mine, because I like to take a whole, a whole folder and be like, and sort the information according to how important it is to me, because that's information architecture, and I love doing that. So if that sounds daunting, then maybe a different strategy, but I would love to see, just like dig through the archive. Yeah, no, that's, that's great. That, that also helps me uh, figure out how to onboard people. So thanks. Yeah. George. Um, yeah, to, to, to Anne's point, I think it, it is really important to, in, in the face of challenges about, you know, what you might not know or being unfamiliar with a topic, um, you know, remain persistent um, and remain optimistic because I, I think, for me, in the face of failure, and you'll face failure a lot in research, um, you know, um, or at least maybe iteration is a better way of putting it. Um, the fact that, you know, we, we've been working on the mascot study uh, since we all, since the Smarty Lab began. So we're, we're coming up about three years, almost to the date of when we first met and we were like, we want to explore a project um, in this vein. Um, and, and, and it's been rejected still... twice. The, the paper. Yeah, uh, we haven't written the full paper yet, but extended abstracts rejected twice. But I think we're honing in on on the one that's going to make it going straight to journal now, skipping conferences. But go on. No, exactly. That's my point. Just the fact that, you know, th there's a lot of times where, you know, 
a pitch or a scenario or a project will not go the way that we intended, even in terms of how we hypothesize the data might go or what, what our you know, kind of final answer will be. This, this field, um, as with many fields, is open to a lot of turbulent change. Um, and and you know, in terms of the projects we pursue and who's working on them, because we've had a lot of people who come to this lab who you know are they're being pulled in millions of directions, or they're working with different faculty across across the U.S. or across the world. Um, I mean, heck, even for the uh, and second year, well, like the entire last year, Robbie, you were in Singapore, so we were we were getting used to uh, working remotely much before uh, the pandemic popularized Zoom. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, well, you know, knowing how to, you know, continue growing and continue, you know, building who you are as an individual in in the face of adversity, in the face of failure, is is essential in terms of just how you grow and where you go from here. <laughs> yeah, I really want to underline what you said, George, and say that iteration does not equal failure. If you are working on a project and you're getting to a point where you're hearing a lot of no's or you're feeling like you're going in the wrong direction, it's always okay to pause or pivot or try again um, because that's the whole point of the design process is not for you to go from A to B in one straight line, get it all done perfectly, all on time, everyone's all happy, all the deliverables are perfect, I's dotted, T's crossed. It's more like a crazy roller coaster that eventually gets you to a final product. And maybe that final product isn't what you intended when you started from the beginning, but it's the result of all your hard work and all those times where you needed to try again. So iteration isn't failure. Yep. Yep. And that's, that's the mindset that helps you deal with the failure. Cause, cause <laughs> the iteration part means you're, you're trying again, but at the end of each cycle, there's a failure. Um, which you need to address. But if you look at it as a failure, it's actually more debilitating. I often talk about this with my kids, right? They hit obstacles and sometimes they literally cry. <laughs> um, and, and crying, I mean, it's good, get, get out the emotions, but it takes time too, right? Bouncing back from that failure, getting that, that journal article review, which says what you submitted was total crap. And then just moving on from there and figuring out how to improve it. That's, I have faith that you guys will iterate um, repeatedly on all of your projects. You won't see them as failures, um, but also as your growth as individuals. I'm so excited to watch both of you enter the, the world of postgraduate adult humans, um, though you are more mature than I certainly was at your age, uh, maybe even than I am right now. <laughs> so I look up to you both very much in many ways. Um, and I'm grateful to both of you for contributing to the lab, um, helping me develop my projects, but also then also helping me have fun and uh, enriching the whole experience. So thank you, George and Anne. Not George Ann, though I've wanted to call you that sometimes. Thank you, Robbie. Seriously, this being in this lab and being on your team has changed my life for the better. And it's uh, nothing, something we didn't even mention. Ann and I, I, I think, really became very strong friends after oh, working absolutely. under you. And, yeah. And that's a relationship, as well as the other relationships I developed as part of this lab, like those are invaluable to me. And it's, 
it's a testament to your own individual character, Robbie, as well as, you know, the, the character of the projects we've pursued. So thank you uh, above all. Work's yeah, no fun when you're not having fun. Um, <laughs> sorry, so go ahead, Ann. Oh, I was just gonna say that to me, space to grow is everything. And you've given me that for so long and I'm endlessly grateful for it. Rock on. Well, I can tell you the, the future world we may not give you as much space, but, uh, but you should make it. Make as much as you can for yourself because in the end you will you'll have products that people will pay you American dollar or otherwise for Bitcoin, et cetera. All right, let's call this one to a close. Thank you so much. This will be up on the Sparty Lab podcast in some hopefully not too long future. <laughs> George uh, will produce this episode also, and I appreciate that. Any uh, any closing words? Do you want to make a prediction for yourself in five years, and then someday you can look back at this and see? Where do you think you're going to be in five years, 2026? This might be a cop-out, but I'm anticipating that as, as the last five years have proved difficult to track in terms of where I've gone and, and where I've ended up, I, I, you know, I would have never guessed five years ago where I was. Um, but I, I sincerely hope that, um, you know, this is going to sound like such a cop out. I'm sorry. Wherever I am, I hope I'm happy. And I hope I'm working in a culture and with a team that, uh -uh. that, you know, that cares about their mission and cares about what they're contributing to the world and, and their culture. So that's good. That's I'm good. Uh, give me a geographic location, George. Oh man. Honestly, this might be this might be lame too since i've spent most of my life in west michigan um i could see myself living pretty happily in grand rapids for a little while um you know earnestly i i'd love to find a position that maybe will take me to austin or take me to los angeles or or even on an international scale um i'd be happy anywhere as long as i'm with a team that i value and respect um it's hard to get an, an answer that could actually be wrong out of you. <laughs> yeah, I, right. I'm applying to places in Austin right now. Uh, okay. So here's hoping about Austin, but you know, we'll see. Rock on, rock on. All right, Ann, uh, they don't have to be falsifiable. You can take the George route. Yeah, it's the communications degree coming out. <laughs> uh, <laughs> let's see. So in five years, I'll be 26, which means five years ago, I was 16. So that's a gap. <laughs> um, let's guess. I am hoping to be working for a company doing accessibility, maybe um, research or outreach or testing, um, hopefully in a remote position. So I'm able to move around at will. And I'm hoping to if not, be in the Midwest, um, be close enough to an airport that connects to Chicago, that'll connect to my tiny rural hometown in the UP, so it's easy for me to see my family. <laughs> awesome. Uh, very falsifiable predictions there. And let's come back in five years. I'll put a note in my calendar. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Thank you so much for this. And uh, thanks to all 10 people who listened. <laughs> or 10,000. <000. laughs> Bye.